Before I get in the lesson, uh, it's my joy to introduce someone that wants this to be their church home. So let me share a word of welcome to Jimmy and Carol Fan. Y'all mind standing where you are? We got their picture on the screen as well. I think most of you know them, but for the maybe dozen who do not, let me tell you a little bit about Jimmy and Carol. Uh, I was talking with him uh, over the weekend. They both grew up in Nashville. Uh, they met during their high school years. They have been married for 54 years. Uh, Jerry, uh, Jimmy has worked uh, at a vending and food service and then for industrial products and sales, and that took him through about six states. Uh, and now he works at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. And all that time, Carol has been a homemaker uh, and a, a pride for both of them are their three children, Brian Fan, Jennifer Fleming, and Paul Fan, and five grandchildren. I mentioned that most of you know them because they for years have been part of Murray Christian Camp and so many of you know them in that regard. So for the few that don't know them, introduce yourself and for the rest of you, just say welcome to West 7th and hope this soon feels like family. And if you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to do the same. Just mark that on the little attendance sheet or let uh, one of us know, and we'll uh, let you visit with a couple of our elders, let you share your faith story with them. Uh, they'll share a little bit about West 7th with you uh, and help you to um, make that decision. Or if you've got any questions at all, I do need to say a special word of thanks to our elders um, for their leading worship last Sunday. Uh, if you were um, still out of town, you missed a treat. Uh, you can get online and you can listen especially to their message. They talked about our commitment to Christ, His Word, each other, the church, and our community. I remember early on when I moved here, people would say to me from time to time, don't you just love our elders? Uh, and I do. Uh, and that has not stopped for all these years. I hope you can say the same. And I want to encourage you as 2023 begins, it's a new year, and for some, that is a time for new decisions, new uh, commitments or recommitments uh, to spend time in the Word. That was one of the points in that message last week. Uh, I was thinking about that. If you look in our bulletin, there are three new Bible studies beginning this month. Two of those for ladies, uh, one of those Wednesday night, one of those is a new class on Tuesday morning. So spend time in the Word. I think about now, it's easier than ever if you want to spend time daily reading, all kinds of daily reading programs, and there's apps and reminders uh, to help you get into the Word, and I want to encourage you to do that. Today's message, uh, Charlie mentioned this at the opening, is intended to uh, set the stage, kind of lay the groundwork for uh, this, the theme of this year's home devotionals. Um, each month, Barrett Bingham, Susie Parrott, and I will collaborate, and we will write a devotional on this theme. Uh, Susie will write one for the families with young children, Barrett writes one for the families with teenagers, and then I write one for the adults. So this year, each month, we will study a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. But instead of jumping into the first one here in the month of January, we talked about that as we were making our plans, that we felt the need to lay some groundwork and, and study the context and not just immediately jump into the first one. So if you've been studying Scripture any length of time at all, you are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. You might even have them memorized, and that is great. But before this list of wonderful attributes in Galatians 5 is a list that's anything but wonderful. 
But we need to understand that and make me spend some time this morning understand what is the background, what is the context. Because what makes the fruit of the Spirit so beautiful, so admirable, something that we want, is the backdrop, the background, what's contrasted. Here's the point. The same freedom of choice that allows me to choose to obey Christ also allows me to choose not to obey. And just because I have decided to become a Christian, I've I've been baptized, I've had my sins washed away, it's not automatic that I will always choose to do the right thing. Paul opens chapter 5 writing this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then that you do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is, is addressing the Galatians here. And the last part is going to be our study this morning, verses 16 through verse 26. He's explaining how to balance, how do we balance the issue of freedom and grace with the practicality of daily choosing to follow and live for Jesus. See, the question of freedom is this. Now that I'm free, now that I I have that freedom, what am I going to do with that freedom? How am I going to live? What choices am I going to make? Free to do what? What does that look like every day? Well, Paul answers this in verse 16. It's going to be on the screen. I also put these main verses on your outline. If you've got a bulletin, you can follow along there. Or maybe even in your own Bible. But Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This so I say, I believe, is not just referring to the first part of chapter 5. I I think he's kind of giving this a throwback to everything he's stated so far in the book of Galatians. In fact, you might want to go back and read the whole book of Galatians. It's short. Just read those first five chapters before you even get into the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is talking about this whole message here. See, he's been addressing an issue, a complex problem, because the Jewish Christians, the Jewish brethren, had been forcing the Christians not from a Jewish background to practice circumcision. That was the issue at hand. But the underlying problem, and this is where God inspired Paul to write about this, is not about circumcision at all. There's an underlying issue, there's an underlying problem he's dealing with, and that is, are we saved by grace or by keeping the law? That's what the book of Galatians is dealing with. He wrote in chapter 3, you are all sons of God through faith, In Christ Jesus, for all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So, if we are saved, not saved by keeping the law, what do we do with this freedom? How do we show our obedience? What do we know what to choose? Well, he answers that. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So what Paul is doing here is he's setting in opposition the two sides of man, the two ways of thinking, the two natures that we all deal with, or you might even say the two voices that we hear in our heads all the time. Sometimes we even talk about this rather flippantly. How many of you remember seeing a cartoon where you have sort of a a mini-me on one shoulder and another one on the other? 
You know, and one of them looks just like the, you know, the person, and they're dressed maybe in red or black, and they may even have horns, and the other one is dressed in white and might have a halo on them, and so they're, they're kind of two different voices. You remember that? I did a little quick Google search. I go back to the Looney Tunes, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, I remember those. Uh, Homer Simpson, I mean, they just continued. That kind of thing, and that's what we're talking about here. And what happens is... That one voice is telling you, go ahead, do it. No one is looking. You know you want it. But the other one, that's dressed in white with the halo over its head, is saying, no, no, you know that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Do the right thing. Which voice do you listen to? Now, we may not have cartoon figures on each shoulder, but we still hear those voices, don't we? We still hear those temptations. We know what's right, but we want to do what's wrong. It's very appetizing, and there's that conflict there. Every day, every day, we deal with this. Sometimes in the smallest details, you get up in the morning and think, I need to make the bed. I'm the last one up. The other voice says, nah, let your wife do it. Let your mom do it. Or it's late at night, you think, man, I'm tired I've had a long, hard day. I just want to do what I want to do, what I feel like doing. And that voice from the one dressed in white says, nope, even though you're tired, even though you've had a bad day, you still need to do the right thing, whether you feel like it or not. Now, that's an oversimplification of what's going on, but I think it helps us to illustrate what Paul is talking about here, these two desires fighting for control. Now... We, you, are the one to make the decision. You are responsible for your choice. It is our choice, but every day we repeatedly make the choice between what is right and what is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I looked that up. That is so extremely rare. Now, we, uh, uh, rare. we joke about that and say, yeah, my coworker, you know, or, or my family. I think I, I read one statistic, uh, less than 1% of the general population has that clinical diagnosis. So I'm not talking about that. What we're talking about is being inconsistent. And I would say about 100% of the population deals with that. Of always doing the right thing in every moment at every time. You've seen this. Maybe you've been guilty of this. A man leads prayer during Sunday worship, and then he has a foul mouth on the ball court later that week. A woman teaches a Bible class, and then she's gossiping about someone in her class that week. A teenager is quick to lead a service project, and then is rude and cliquish towards somebody from another grade or, or maybe a different school. How can one person be so inconsistent? Why do we do this? Well, Paul explains what's going on inside every one of us, young and old, men and women. Look at verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So he helps us to see this picture here of a person who does not do what he wants. Why? Because he wants both things. He wants to please God, and he also wants to do what he wants to do. 
The NIV says sinful nature. Some translations say flesh or desires of the flesh. And we uh, uh, struggle with interpreting those words. And I'm not convinced that any one of those versions gets it absolutely correct. I got tickled in Barrett, uh, his devotional. He wrote, uh, the works of the flesh may be my least favorite phrase in all of Scripture. We agree with him there, don't we? We don't like that. But look what it's talking about here. Think about this. What is flesh about me? Whatever word you want to use is what naturally I, I, I do not is what I do not want to please the Lord. It's just the opposite of that. You want what you want to do. You want to do what you feel like doing, what you desire to do. But inside of you, you also want to do what God wants you to do. You also want to be a good person and do the right thing. You want both. But there's times where you can't have both. Let me illustrate this battle with food. We can understand this. You want dessert, but you don't want to gain all that extra weight. (laughs) Or maybe you want to lose weight, but you can't have both. You have to choose one or the other. For some of us, one day we'll choose one, the next day we'll choose the other. Or maybe one meal will choose one, then one meal will choose the other. Or for some, you'll drink your Diet Coke while you're having your dessert. You know, we understand that, that, that tension going on. Have you heard the phrase that's kind of becoming common about like a diet, a cheat day? Have you heard that? I've never become comfortable with a cheat day. Cheating is bad. It's wrong. And yet we tell you, this is my cheat day as I go for that second helping of dessert. But are you getting what you want? Yes and no. Whichever way you choose, because you want both. You want the dessert, and you also don't want to become overweight. What Paul shares next in this verse is key to keeping the church from going, but more personally to keep each one of us from growing to be more and more like Jesus. Growing in our maturity, growing in our choices, Verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For five chapters, Paul has made the case. It is not a matter of perfect obedience because you will never be perfect. You will never reach that goal. It's a matter of desire of want. And again, going back to the illustration of food, have you ever made a diet change For example, after years of drinking sweet tea, you decide, I'm going to drink unsweet tea. Because it's just too much sugar, I'm going to drink unsweet tea. And at first, it is awful. Maybe the same for like regular cola and diet cola. At first, you think, this is is terrible. But you you just keep at it. And after a while, it becomes tolerable. And after a little bit longer, you actually grow to like it. Even prefer it. And then you accidentally, or maybe you, you drink a sweet tea or a regular Coke. Oh, I just saw some of your mouths. You're like, mm-hmm. It just tastes like you're drinking syrup. It, what happened? Because back then, that's what you wanted. That's what you preferred. That's what you desired. And your tastes has changed. There's been a, a, a transformation in what you desire. Now, it's not exactly the same, but maybe that can help us to understand a little bit of what can happen with us spiritually. 
That spiritually, you can have this transformation of what we desire, what we prefer. Now, this is more than just promising, I will never do that again. It's more than that. It's being able to truly say, I no longer want that. I don't want to watch that anymore. That's no longer entertaining for me. That's not something that I desire. Do you hear the difference there? It's like a wife. Imagine, wives, if your husband is telling you very emphatically, I will never sleep with another woman because I'm a married man. That's what you want to hear, right? Or what about this? I do not want to be with another woman because I only want you. Same behavior, keeping the vow, but oh so different. Because it's about what you desire. We're talking about much more than behavior. We're talking about what we desire, what we want. But wait a minute, can we really control our desires and our wants? Can we really control them? Can we re reprogram our minds like that? Because more often than not, what we think about is I just can't help it. You know, you're driving down the road, you, you're, there's the Krispy Kreme, and it's the hot donuts now. And the next thing you know, you're licking your fingers because you just had two or three of them. You don't even remember swallowing. I mean, it just happens. I just can't control it, right? You know what I'm talking about. The Spirit moves in us. The Spirit works in us. The Spirit helps the Word become real. It takes the truth from the pages of Scripture and writes them on our hearts and reprograms our mind, and that helps determine then our will. So we make choices that are more and more aligned with His. So the question really is, what do you want? What do you want? What's important to you? How do you want to live? See, God not only saves you, he, want to give, he wants to give you new desires, better desires, things that are more closely aligned with what He desires. I didn't put it on the screen or even on the outline, but write down Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Go back and, and read this passage. It is deep. It is rich. He talks about how God can transform you by renewing your mind. It not only can happen, it must happen. Because before, when you're outside of Christ and you're of the world, your mind is not like His, and He wants to make your mind more and more like His. We are not a robot. We are created by God in His image. We have a heart and a mind and a will to think for ourselves, and then He gives everyone the most generous but dangerous gift the ability to choose. The freedom to choose. Even as one who's been washed by the blood, you've been baptized, your sins are washed away, I still have the freedom to choose every day, every moment. What will I choose? What is good and right and godly? Or what's fleshly, sinful, selfish, carnal? But if you never choose to, as Paul says here, to live by the Spirit... You're going to still want both, and you're never going to get what you want. And when you live like that, you're going to be the most miserable Christian ever. I know some of those. You do too. I've been there. Maybe you have as well. That's what he's talking about here. 
The battle is within you. And the Bible is full of scriptures that talk about do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Let's talk about our mind being deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, we complain about the government. We complain about uh, Hollywood and movies. We talk about the media. We talk about all the corruption that's out there. And yes, it is. But even without all of those, it's in here. It's in here. That voice that's telling me, you do what you want. You've had a hard day. You deserve it. You know you want it. Paul called these acts of the sinful nature, works of the flesh. Look at the screen at chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, or maybe look at your Bibles. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What an upstanding list. What an honorable list. What a happy list. Right? Oh, no. Could we say, what a natural list. Left unguarded, untaught, unbridled, this is exactly where you end up. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here. Think for a moment. Do we have to teach our kids how to be jealous? Is that something like, all right, listen up. I'm going to teach you this. Not at all. Do we have to teach them how to throw a fit? Not at, just the opposite. We have to teach them good behavior. It doesn't just come naturally. Look at this list. Let's talk briefly about each one. I put it on your outline if you want to take a a few notes, kind of help us to understand, especially because why would Paul list these? Sometimes we might read through these kind of quickly and think that it's just two names for the same evil. Uh, Well, yes and no. I think there's some nuances that would be good for us to understand. In fact, one author said this, talk about how they're all interrelated. He said, as as it opens here, sexual immorality is the act, impurity is the thought, and debauchery is the principle. Well, let's just kind of unpack these real real briefly. Sexual immorality, let's start there. It's more than just the act between two people that is sexually across the lines. It's, It's more than that. It comes from the word porneo, where we get our term pornography, The broad meaning is acting or performing things that are wrong sexually. What we know from the Bible is that sex is a gift of God. He designed it for us, for our enjoyment. But beyond God's parameters, it's sin. That's what he's talking about here. You know, years ago, it was not uncommon for all of sexuality in the back of our minds to have some kind of hint of evil or dirty or shame And so in all proper society, well-mannered, we didn't talk about these things, not not openly. It was all sort of hush and hush. And I feel like in our culture today, we've just swung the pendulum the other direction. In fact, sometimes I think we've just yanked the pendulum off and thrown it away. In our talk, even news, primetime TV, vulgar, crass, anything goes. 
But here's what we need to understand from Scripture. Husbands and wives, you have no reason to feel ashamed for your sexual desire for your spouse. God wants it. God created you that way. And even for those who are single, you have no reason to be ashamed for that sexual desire for, that you have. God gave you that. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. But simply put, sexual immorality is an abuse of a wonderful gift of God. And so he lists that first. But it's preceded by impurity. That's second, but it actually comes first. See, purity is not about just being right in action. It's about being right in thought, being right in heart. It's who you are on the inside. One author called it our lust factory where you make adultery stew. It's the thinking. It's dwelling on it. It's turning back the page or going back to that website. And what precedes that is debauchery. That's the letting go of the principle. See, if you study the history of these terms, debauchery has to do with the letting go of the principle. Preceding the evil thought and the action is the decision to abandon your principles. And again, we don't have to be taught these things. You don't have to teach your child how to lie. We teach our children how to be moral. We don't have to teach them how to be debauched. We understand that. Debauchery says you do as you please. You do what you want. That's what we're talking about here. What about idolatry and witchcraft? Now, idolatry is an, uh, an archaic-sounding word. We don't kind of use that in our everyday talk. Witches, for us, is in stories, books, movies. But it's much more than that. Most of these are very much alive. Both of these are very much alive. The basis of idolatry is replacing God with something else. You know that. It is rationalizing to get what you want. It's a tricking of your mind. And even it is, you know, to know the future, read my palm, to control the future. A friend of mine was telling me about his time doing mission work in Africa, how voodoo dolls are very much alive and well. It's able to have powers beyond others. One author called it supernatural greed. And then hatred comes in what is listed next. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envying. Discord, very quickly, is me not getting my way and so forcing my way. That's what discord is. And to do that, I have to let go of the greatest command. Mike had it in his prayer. We sang about it. You let go of loving God and loving others because I want my way. It's trumping your way over others. Hate is needed to sow discord. And jealousy is, I want what you've got. I'm not unhappy that you have it, but I want it too. That's what jealousy is. But love wants you to have it. Love rejoices with those who rejoice. What about fits of rage? Do we need to explain that one? Let's talk about temper. That's what we think of. And sometimes we, we kind of, again, minimalize this. We're talking about, you know, we blame it on our having red hair or Irish background. We O'Briens, you know, we're just a hot-tempered people, and we wear it almost like a badge. But fits of rage are things that call people of the world to speak ill of the church. It's time for Christians to agree with God that it's a sin and not accept it in any form. Selfish ambition. 
Ambition is not wrong, but selfish ambition is wrong. And it's obvious why. Because it's selfish. You want what you want. That's why it's wrong. It's focused on self. It's not loving your neighbor. Dissension is sowing differences between people. Now, with discord, as I want to get my way, dissension is when you st- we would say stir the pot. The opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. That's what we're talking about here. Factions relate to that. But that's where like, you build a consensus. You get a bunch of people together, a group of a following. Factions are what break up a church. A discorder will leave. A, a faction is when you say to another person, do you agree with what the elders just decided? What are we going to do about that? And then six or eight or ten of you demand a meeting with the elders. That's a faction. And we can all be guilty of this, though, even without thinking about it, when we try to get other people to agree with us, to prove that we're right. We rally support for our point of view. Now, again, we, we want that. It's just natural because, one, we want to be right. And, two, we don't want to be alone. Both of those are natural. But when we act on that and we're manipulating people to get in the, on our side, that's when it can become a sin. And then he mentions envy. Again, envy and jealousy are closely related. But the history, if you go back and understand, jealousy means you have something and I wish I had it also. And even if we both had it, that's okay. But envy is you have it and I want it. I don't want you to have it. I want it. Envy says, you got what I deserve. I don't want another. I want yours. And envy is so masqueraded. Sometimes we may not even see it within ourselves or even in someone else. It's revealed in our arguing. I want to be right, and I want you to be wrong. There's envy in your heart when there's a little bit of a, I told you so, when the truth comes out. Envy is at its core there. Envy goes to work with us. You know, when the whole team is working on a project, and you have one idea, and someone else disagreed, and then finally, after some time, your idea is proven to be right, and you want everybody in the office to know you were right. Envy comes to church with us. You ever been in a situation after worship, after class, and people are talking, and right in front of you, someone invites another, hey, we got a group together going to lunch. We're going to Puckett's. You want to go? And you're standing right there, what about me? You're not invited. Envy creeps in as they're all going to Puckett's, and you're not, and you're thinking, I hope they can't find a parking spot. (laughs) And the line is long, and their service is poor. That's envy. What's going on? Should you have been wrong to know? But how do you respond to that? It creeps in drunkenness. We don't even have to explain that one, do we? We all know the evils that come with that. Orgies and the like. Yeah. All that goes with them. Understand, these are not just hiccups in our personalities. These are not just bad habits. These are evil. They create so much pain. They do so much harm. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the context of the fruit of the Spirit. I know as I was studying through this, I don't want to talk about all this stuff on Sunday. I'd rather talk about something that's positive and good. 
And yet we need to talk about these things and understand that they're in you and they're in me. And every day we've got to make this choice. This is why the fruit of the Spirit is so beautiful. This is why it's so compelling. This is why we should want this. Because look at our choices. Look at our choices. In fact, Paul contrasts this darkness with what the Spirit offers us. I want you to take note of the fruit as we look at verses 22 through 23. And notice the fruit of the Spirit is not natural. Now, it's of the Spirit, it's of God, but it's not natural. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I say natural, maybe I should say automatic. It don't just happen because you turn 18 and you have this instant maturity. Or because you're a Christian and you automatically have these things. You put your dry clothes back on and all these things go on too. Not so. In fact, let me ask you. Do all of these just come naturally to you? Do you get an A plus on even one of them all the time? Even when you become a child of God, even when you're faithful and you're dedicated, even after He's given you the gift of His Holy Spirit, you have a choice. And the choice is this, the only blank in your outline, you either follow your instincts or you get in step with the Spirit. Every day. That's our choice. See, Some Christians wrongly believe that being a follower of Jesus is sort of automatic and and it's sort of like a Christian instinct, if you will. After all, I've been in church all my life. My dad and my grandfather were elders, or or I I went to a Christian school, or and the list goes on, and I know what the Bible says. And so it's just gonna flow, it's just gonna happen. It's like we get automatic credit that by default, by instinct, we're gonna do the right thing. I'm guaranteed to do well. If we're not thinking about ourselves, we project that on other people too. You know, they had those same advantages. They grew up in a Christian home. They know the Bible so well. But when they get caught cheating on a test in school, or when he steps out on his wife, one of the first things we'll say or hear is, oh, they knew better. Their mom and dad brought them up to know better than that. They graduated from that Christian school. Folks, let's be clear about this. Yes, we must know what is right and wrong. We need to know what the Bible says. We have to know what the Bible says. But knowledge of right and wrong does not guarantee that we will always choose what's right. Knowledge of what is right and wrong does not guarantee that we'll always choose what is right. That's why Paul is so emphatic but when you read through the book of Galatians, you can feel it, the, 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 the emotion. There's times where he, he almost sounds angry, but it's not anger, it's, it's, it's concern because so much is at stake. So he's challenging us. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 24, 25, and 26. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying with each other. 
Every day, you have a choice. Every situation, you have a choice. But the most important choice, and we'll end with this, is for you to decide to become a completely committed follower of Jesus. Confess that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Turn from trying to do it on your own. Let Him make you a new creation in your baptism. And He'll give you the Holy Spirit so that you can be led by the Spirit. If we can pray for you in your walk with the Lord, or if we can help you today with your baptism, won't you come as we stand and sing the song to encourage you? Oh,